Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You are listening to lesson four, Politics of Creation. Uh, okay. Uh, just to, I, I don't know if you heard, it's hard to hear downstairs when we do those announcements, but um, we are attempting to record this class and almonds class downstairs um and we have put them on a podcast that you can get on apple and spotify and google and those places so um if you care if you miss a week and you want to listen to it it hopefully will be available um since i've been here we haven't tried to do this and so hopefully this goes well um don't be surprised if we have a week where it doesn't go well, you know, because that's kind of, we're not like professional audio recorder people. Um, I mean, we, basically, the strategy is this box with a microphone. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't get any more non-professional than that. Uh, so, anyway, so just bear with us. If the quality is, like, not, I don't know, what you're used to with your podcast, like, we apologize for that, too. But, again... Hopefully next year, if this goes well, we can maybe up our game. And um, that's kind of the thought. So, um, so we're trying to make it where even if you're not here, you still can be involved in the class. So, um, let me know. Uh, you're all. If you put your email on that, you're all on kind of our planning center group. And uh, so, if you and by the way, these handouts are online on that planning center resource. If you're if you're on the group already, you probably got an email telling you about this. Um, if you didn't, maybe you don't shake your emails. Um, so, but, uh, so anyways, um, if you have any issues and you can't, like we've, you can't find the podcast, let me know and I'll send you the link for it and you can listen to it. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Is it central church? It has no, it's really, it's, it's um, <laughs> so if anyone knows that, uh, like I have that, I have a, I've had a podcast going on for like a year and a half, right? And it's yeah. kind of on that channel. I oh, kind okay. of created a channel. So, yeah, so it's, um, uh, we have, so if you go to, so we, we have four podcast shows now. We have, uh, we have a fifth one coming, right? Me and Johnny are going to do a missions one. So we have the politics one that I do, that I've been doing for about a year and a half. We have the, cl- the church and politics class. We have Dr. Almond, Attributes of God, and me and Derek McFarland started a sports one just for fun and giggles and banter. Uh, Kevin Buchanan will be on it this, this week. So that was just for fun. If you like fun, if you want to kind of get some of our personalities, that's when you can check that out. If you know nothing about sports, but you're, you would find our kind of banter interesting, then maybe it's for you. Uh, if you like sports or like college football, like Randall, I know you like is he in here? Yeah, we yeah we may not talk about Ohio State though because we don't like the Big Ten. So whatever. So anyways, we did talk about Colorado. Um, so anyways, so that just uh, it's just for fun. But anyway, so those things are on on there. You can find them in the same place. So so yeah, let me know if you have issues with that. So um, we're gonna talk about so we're gonna get into more Bible. So if you're kind of like yeah, I kind of like this class, but like there's no Bible. You know, good for you. Good for you for noticing that. I appreciate that. But we will get into a lot more Bible today and ongoing. So just uh, forgive me. Um, but we will be definitely getting into more Bible uh, this week and onward. So um, 
If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible, uh, I did put some of the passages on your handout um, so you don't have to go chase some passages. But uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1 and 2 most of tonight um, because we're talking about politics of creation. And really creation, uh, again, not only is it the beginning of the Bible, but it sets a huge, it sets a huge foundation for politics, um, especially with a definition that we've been kind of working with and understanding institutions. Um, and so we see kind of when we talked about last week with institutions, you have like a, a, a authorized authority and you have an assent to that authority through kind of rules and principles by which you have to follow, right? Uh, as an American citizen, you have an authorized authority, which is the U.S. government or your local government, and there's certain assent to, their, to the rules, right, and to the laws that are passed um, as a part of the being, not only a subject to the government, but in the United States, we are actually citizens, right? We're involved in the institution. We participate in the institution through our voting, through our, our voice, the United States. Uh, of course, we can get into some arguments of how much voice you do have, right? Um, but the, the, uh, the intent is that the U.S. citizens have a voice in the government, right? Uh, you have representation in the government. You can vote. If you don't like that representation, you can vote them out of office, right? Um, and so that's the, that's the intent there. So we're going to talk about the politics of God. Um, it may be a, a strange phrase, but uh, there, if we think of politics, when we think of authority and rules and principles by which those who are being ruled have to follow, th- it, there is a politics of God. Um, the gospel is political because it creates a political entity, right? We were once sinners in rebellion against God's authority. We have been saved through the blood of Christ. We are now followers of Christ. We are worshipers of God, right? We are then subject to the authority of God, to his laws, to his word, right? So there, and, and, we, and, we, and we reside in the church, and the church has officers, it has, uh, it has authority. God has given, uh, authorized the church to have authority over the lives of Christians. Um, and, and so the gospel actually creates a political entity. And we have a common king. Who is our king? Jesus. Jesus. The king, a king is a very political term, right? We don't vote for this king, Right? Um, but he is king. He deserves that role because God has given him this title, this authority, this rule, this kingdom through the cross, through the resurrection. He's exalted Christ's name above every other name. Every, uh, he is the ruler over all because his father has given this to him. So the church in, in, in our lives as Christians is very political, uh, and the gospel creates this political entity. So God himself is political. Uh, 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 politics is those activities that fall within the jurisdiction of, the, of those public-wide and cohesive, oh, co- cohesive institutions responsible for governing, governing a people. God, by nature, is sociable, right? So when we think of politics, we're not just thinking of an office or uh, someone who has authority, but there's an establishment of the social relationship between uh, the ruled and the, the ruler. Um, 
And so when we think about God's nature, God is sociable. God is holy. He is just. Um, As creatures, we are created in his image. We reflect that same order and justice in our relationships. So God is holy and just. He created us in his image. And we ought to organize our own relationships with holiness and justice. Hence why we're not to kill one another, right? Because that's unjust. Uh, We ought to be holy and good in our relationships. We're not to be selfish and prideful and only think about ourselves. We ought to be good. We ought to show love and compassion because our Father, our God, is loving and He is compassionate. Uh, So we actually, horizontally, in our relationships in the public sphere with one another, we ought to be like God, holy and just. Uh, We're not to have uh, road rage, right? We're not to drive like maniacs because that's not good, right? It's not good. Um, and to like run people off the road because they're in our way, right? It's selfish. It's not considerate whatsoever, and it's ungodly. Actually, we're not reflecting reflecting God. Um, so we must reflect the same order and justice in our own relationships as we see with with God. We must submit as citizens to the institutions that God has authorized with authority to establish law. So we're going to talk about tonight that God has authority and then he mediates or authorizes certain groups or certain, certain individuals to have authority. He, but he dictates that authority. He's the one that sets the standards and the boundaries and the jurisdictions of those institutions by which he gives authority. It all comes from God. He has ultimate authority. He then can then give authority to whom he wishes. But then he usually sets parameters to that authority. And that authority given by God can establish rules. It can establish laws for the good of the citizens or the good of the public or the good of society. I mean, even God, when he he gives the Ten Commandments, is he giving those Ten Commandments just for willy-nilly? No, he's giving it for the good of Israel, isn't he? The same with the government. The state is to pass laws and rules that are good for the public or good for society or good for the citizens. Now, they don't always do that, do they? They don't always do that. We live in a fallen world. We'll talk about that next week, the politics of the fall. And so that creates issues because the authority that God has given out and mediated is human authority or human institutions. And human institutions are full of humans who are fallen, right? Sinful. And so they're not perfect in establishing laws and principles. But uh, as we'll see with Genesis 1 and 2, God does actually give over authority, and they ought to operate with that authority over creation the way that God operates with authority, with with justice and holiness. Any questions so far on any of that? Anything you would like to ask? Okay. Uh, So there's really three parties... In, at play in all political activity. There's three parties. Um, there's the ruler. So in the United States, we don't have one ruler, do we? We have a government, right? We have federal, state, and local government. We have representatives. The president of the United States is not a king, right? If President Biden wanted to pass a law, how does he pass a law? Now, some of you are going to get into executive orders and things like that. And that, unfortunately, a lot of presidents have started to do that recently, have they? They just passed an executive order. The problem with an executive order, it's not actually binding in the sense that the next president can do what the first day of office? 
Yes, right. So, like, it has a short-term impact. Um, unlike a law passed by Congress, right? Um, so, if you remember, kind of uh, Schoolhouse Rock, how is a law passed? I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill, right? The president can't just. Therefore, I declare a law. That's not how. That's not how that works. Now. If you're King George III of England, it's a little bit different. Now, England did have a parliament, if you didn't know that, in the 18th century uh, because of the Magna Carta in the 13th century. So the Britain did have somewhat of a more democratic government than, say, Iran or China currently, right? Far more like uh, one group of people can literally dictate whatever it wants, right? doesn't have to... It's not afraid of the people whatsoever. It doesn't have to be voted in by the people. Um, so you have the ruler, which can mean different things. It can mean one person. It can be a group of people. It can be a, a, like a larger structure institution like the U.S. government. There's the ruled. Who's the ruled? The people. Yeah, the people. We're ruled, right? Again, it's different. In the United States, we're not just simply ruled. We're not just simple subjects. We're not slaves. We are citizens. and We're a part of the ruling. Um, but in other countries, it's not that way. You literally are ruled, right? You are basically, you have no freedoms. You have no rights. All those freedoms and rights have to be given to you by the government. And we're going to talk a little bit about a few examples in the current, currently right now, that shows you that these people are definitely just ruled. They're not a part of the particip- They're not participating at all. Who do you think the third person is? God. God is the third entity, the third party in all political activity. Why do you think God is a part of all political activity? Supreme. He is supreme. So, which means he gives the the ruler the authority. Also, he. Did- he defines what good and evil are. Correct. So he defines the boundaries by which the rulers can rule, right? And even says in Romans 1, they have to rule for the good of the people, not for their own good, which is the unfortunate thing with a lot of governments in the world is they rule for their own good, not for the good of the people. So when God mediates authority to governments, they ought to rule for the sake of the people and the good of the people, not for their own benefit. So when they go outside their jurisdiction and boundaries, that's, that's a danger zone, right? And we've seen, we've seen in history a lot of different nations and empires and governments that ruled for their own benefit. Give me an example of one. Hitler. Hitler. Hitler's fascist government is no longer in power in Germany, correct? Do you have a suggestion, Dewey? Yes. Who, who, who is one? Well, uh, I would say the governor of New Mexico right now, she just <laughs> right now, yeah. canceled the Second Amendment. Okay. For all citizens concealed weapons or open carry weapons. Right. So she has, as far as I'm concerned... Uh, she didn't have the authority to do that. She's stepping out of line. <coughs> and restricting liberty. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't have anything to back that up. Mm-hmm. But she's done it. Mask. And uh, she has the power 
of the police state in New Mexico to enforce it. Mm -hmm. But when they start enforcing that, there will be happening. Mm -hmm. so What's the it? Good news, the good news is it's not actually happening because all the all of the sheriffs and uh, police are saying no, we're not doing it. Yeah. yeah. People showed up right to her office with guns, and the yeah. police were like, nope, we're not the doing it. Attorney General won't enforce the Fascinating. What's another country? Yeah. Like yep. China, yep. Stalin. Yep. Yeah. What's another one though? There's one in Caesar. There's one like that's takes up a lot of room in the Bible. Caesar. Caesar. But Israel, a lot of their kings, right? I mean, they ruled for their own benefit, especially the Northern Kingdom, right? And God even said in Deuteronomy 17 that these kings ought to rule. For the sake, uh, they have to be law abiders. They have to be people who represent to the people what law following is, like following God's law. They they can't be about wealth and wealth wealth collection or or building up a, a fleet or a, an army or ch of chariots for their own benefit. He says that clearly in the law in Deuteronomy. But a lot of the kings of Israel, they did a lot of things for their own benefit. Right? Did God tell the Israelites that was going to happen? Yeah. He did. Yeah. But still, they, there was, I mean, yeah, there's the, the first Samuel passage, what you're referring to. Um, God does, in the law, does present how a king ought to operate within Israel. And they ought to be, in some ways, like a priest who follows the law and represents to the people a faithfulness to God. And that's why Jesus is the true and better king, because he does that, right? Um, Christ did not rule or present himself as a king who ruled for his own benefit. He laid his life down for his people, right? Um, so how does God exercise authority and delegate authority? How does God exercise authority and delegate authority? Um, through the... Like in the scriptures, when it says that they're not given the sword for nothing, so the police, um, other rulers, is that what you're talking about? How does God exercise authority? Oh. Well, he gave us the Ten Commandments and, and also a lifestyle that we're supposed to follow. Um, am I close? Does he say swift <laughs> and, uh, uh, I can't think of the name, like swift and, uh, I guess, swiftly and judgmently like yeah like he comes in as like hey that's gonna be a bad king well he's, he only lasted two and a half years in, in the kings of kings and then his son took over and he was even worse and he only lasted right. three months <laughs> so it's, it's kind of after that but then they're a good king yeah let's see if you compare god to like like say a king of israel like compare god to ahab Yeah, that's right. Just opposite. <laughs> the office of the office of the prophet goes along with the kingship, just like you had David always had. Was it Samuel? And, and those two are meant to be together because that gives them the authority to rule. But it's kind of like a prophet has got a voice. Okay. You mean like in righteousness? Yeah. Well, there's some characteristics that I've got. Yeah, he's, he's righteous. He's just. He's holy. He's fair. He's impartial, right? He does. It's not like God's like, oh yeah, yeah, y'all are my guys. So whatever y'all do is fine, and I'll just be harsh with these group of people or something. He's fair. He's impartial. He's good. He's compassionate, merciful, right? Um, 
holy. This is how he exercises. So therefore, when he delegates authority, he's delegating authority to, as we'll talk about Adam and Eve, but other, other institutions like Israel and things like that, they ought to, they ought to, they ought to uh, uh, um, govern and rule like God. So when you have, it, it, we'll talk about what is the definition of good government. And what is good government? Selfless, servanthood. Protecting the needs and the good of others, its citizens, its subjects. Um, not trying to collect more power that God hasn't given them. As, you know, as Dewey is bringing out about New Mexico, right? Trying to expand it. And that was the issue with COVID, right? Is you had these governors going beyond what was normal, right? Collecting more power than they should be trying to collect, um, it's interesting, uh, there's an, an interesting statement made that uh, we could talk a little bit about. How Christians think of God's authority will inevitably be affected by their experience of earthly structures of, of rule or domination. Uh, so let me give you an example. Medieval, the medieval God, there's a lot of an understanding of God's authority or God's sovereignty over people, which is actually going on amongst its governments, during the medieval times, kings had absolute power over the state, right? It could send whoever it wants to war. It could basically collect as much taxes as it wants. There was very little checks and balances on a monarch, right? Because God was silent, too, during that time. You're talking about during the medieval times? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, they, these kings, in some ways, did not feel the authority of God upon them. They pretty much ruled any way they wanted to, right? The only way that there was any kind of checks and balances was someone assassinating them or, or someone killing them or someone then like basically up raising up an army and defeating the king or the queen. Uh, during the, um, during, the, during the, the Puritan times, uh, you see the covenant-making God. During the time of, uh, even right now, with the growth of liberal Christianity and the benevolent God, you have a growth of the welfare state. Uh, the view that God is all loving, there's no justice, he just he'll accept everyone. God is this, this big, you know, teddy bear. teddy bear in the sky, right? What is happening governmentally? There's a lot of welfare. Well, yeah, because there's just kind of like the government is a big, is the nanny state, right? The, the, the government that just wants to give you everything that you lack. And make it so you see actually what's happening. People's views of God actually reflect their views on what the state should do, if that makes sense. And you, kind of, you can kind of track that through, through history. Um, so the God is given different titles and given political language. Uh, we think of king, lord, and judge. This is all political language to describe God. God's not just simply um, father. God is not simply just creator. God is not just simply, um, you know, friend. These are all terms that we use to describe, uh, describe God. God also is described with lord, king, and judge, which... What, what kind of, what does that make you think of? It makes you think of laws. It makes you think of that there are people by whom he rules over and he has authority over. So God has a right to rule. 
Why does God have a right to rule? Yeah, he created. He's God. He created, right? He has all power. He created. He has the right to rule. He doesn't need a constitution to give him power. He doesn't need amendments and, and all these things to give him power. He doesn't need Article 1, 2, and 3. He doesn't need the, uh, the Necessary and Proper Act, right? He doesn't need these things to give him power. He has power because he's God and he created. So he has the right to rule. He's, he has the right to be called Lord. He has the right to be called judge and king. Even for those who do not recognize him as God, he still has rights over them. Um, so when we think of, again, the politicalness of God, there is a social, there's just a socialness to God. God is not just an impersonal God in the sky, right, that we just have to somehow try to figure out what he wants, right? Um, he's not the God of Islam that... All, all he is, is he's, he's up in the heavens and he, he, he passed on his revelation to a prophet and we just have to live by this kind of rules and regulations, right? And uh, he doesn't speak to us and we can't really pray to him because he's unknowable, right? That's the Islamic God. If you didn't know that, that's Allah. Um, he's not personable. He's not sociable. He's also something else. What is he not? What is the God of, of Islam not? He's not, okay, there's something huge, though. He's not Trinity. Which, it's something pretty important. He's not sociable. From eternity past. So he wasn't eternally past. He wasn't in the, for, for all eternity social. And then when he created, still not social. God was social with the Father, and the, with the Son, and the Spirit, and then continues to be social with his creatures and his creation. Um, so he's a ruler who rules over his, his people, but he's also sociable with them. He tells them how they ought to live their life. He demands worship from them as his creatures. So when we think about the Trinity, God is a social being. He's able to affirm and acknowledge others prior to creation. It's important that you, he not only does, does, is he in Trinity with the Son and the Spirit, but he also acknowledges their existence and then affirms them as well. So he acknowledges us and affirms us as well as his creatures because he created us. Uh, can somebody read John 17, 5? How am I doing in time? Can someone read John 17, 5? Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Such, a, such an important passage to understand the Trinity, the Father and the Son and their relationship, the acknowledgement of the Son. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The socialness of, of God. The Father and the Son. But there's also a structure to, this, uh, to the social. Now, I, I really want to get into primarily the incarnation when Jesus came into the world, right? When the Son of Man, the Son of God, took on flesh and came into the world. What, what is the, the language between the Father and the Son, how, is, how does Christ 
uh, describe that relationship. We get this passage here in 17.5, but what other things does Jesus say about the Father? They sent him. Right, the Father sent him. They're one. They're one. There's a unity, which even when we think about political institutions, there's a unity in the institution around a, a common authority and a common understanding of, of rules and structures. There's a unity, the oneness of the Father and the Son. What else? Okay. He uses the phrase, the Father has given me acknowledgement of... Mm-hmm. Right, he's, he's, and when we see later on, he's, he gives the son like authority and rule. Um, he also, the, Christ says quite often, he submits to the will of his father. So, and, and Jesus is admitting there's a, there's a structure to their relationship. Now, what that means in the eternity past, we're not sure. Is, is that the structure that's always been so, or is this only the structure that is presented in, during the incarnation of Christ? But Jesus does acknowledge a structure to their relationship. He acknowledges it. I follow the will of my Father. If it is your, fa- if it is your will, Father, let this cup pass from me, right? Christ acknowledged there's a structure to their relationship. But they also have purpose. As John Andrew said, there's a oneness. So they have a unified purpose with their, with their, their, their social relationship. They have a common purpose. Humans have a similar ability to be social, right? We reflect God in being people who are social. Y'all were talking about y'all went to a concert together as with friends, right? You have friendship and you go and do something. It's better to go with other people than to go by yourself, right? Because we're social beings. We're reflecting what God created, which is God is social. So he creates us in his image. Therefore, we're social, um, so we have a social na- nature just like God. And politics is the business of organizing and governing groups of social beings according to certain s- concepts of righteousness and justice. Basically, we create, we do politics because we gather together and we, fi- we find that it's better when we gather to have a unified purpose and to present some structure to our relationship. Like some of y'all work at companies Let's just say, for example, there was no structure to your employment. How would that go? It'd be horrible. Like, even like pay. Like, if that wasn't even structured. Uh, it'll get you at some point. But no, no, no. I'm, I should, I'm supposed to be paid on the 15th day of the week, on the 15th day of the month. There's nothing in the policies that say that. You know, whenever we get around to it, right? Any of these type of things, you do, you do forms and stuff when you get hired. Why? Because it's a part of the structure. It's the organization. That's actually kind of, that's politics. It's you have social relationship. You're going to work together. You're going to have a common purpose. And you have to put some structure down to organize this, this relationship. Does that make sense? Let me read this quote by Christopher Wright. I think I put it in there for you, didn't I? Yeah. Can somebody read it for me? Anyone can read that nice and loud? Christopher Wright is, um, is a theologian. He's written a lot on missions and biblical theology. Um, so I've written, read a lot of his books in my kind of missions 
education. Somebody read that. God, therefore, in the mystery of the Trinity, lives in the harmonious relationship of equal persons, each of whom possesses his proper function, authority, and relatedness to each of the others. Human beings, therefore, made in God's image, were created to live in the harmony of personal equality, but with social organization that required functional structures and patterns of relationship. The ordering of social relationships and structures, locally, nationally, and globally, is of direct concern to our creator God, then. But such ordering is precisely the stuff of politics. Let me ask you, our understanding of who God is. He, yes, he's absolute. Yes, he's the creator. Yes, he's the Lord. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's holy. But he's also sociable. He's a social God. He's a personal God. He created us in his image to reflect who he is. The importance of reflecting God in his nature. We are to reflect harmony between one another. We ought to reflect mercy and compassion and justice and holiness with one another. Let's compare that, just for a moment, with Islam and Middle Eastern governments. Describe to me, as I already said earlier, describe to me the understanding of who God is in the Muslim faith. He's distant. He's distant. Unknowable by his people. That's right. He's always angry. Always angry. Interesting. Now, describe to me most Middle Eastern Muslim dominant majority country governments. <laughs> Always angry. Always angry. <laughs> no, good point. They're dictatorial. They're rep- yeah, they're repressive. Mm-hmm. Very strict. Very strict. Very wary of outside influence. Right. Uh, conformity is through force. Very, there's very few democratic countries in the Middle East, and the ones that are, not really much of one. I mean, Turkey is probably your best example, and they're not all that democratic or open at all. They're, so they're, it's interesting, almost across the board, they're all very, very similar. That's why with the U.S. going into Iraq and Afghanistan, why they've had so much problems... <laughs> Trying to create democratic governments in those areas. Well, they're all theocracies, aren't they? Most, well, that's what a lot of them, the ones that actually have thrived, have been more that. Have been more that. Uh, One of the biggest, and the the economist is the New Middle East, is talking about the Gulf states and all their oil money. But guess what? Most of all their governments are not open and democratic. That's why in Afghanistan, I mean, in Saudi Arabia in particular, there's a huge difference between the wealthy and the poor. Because those who are rich are connected to the royal family. Or do business for the royal family. Hence where Osama bin Laden got all of his money. His father built Mecca for the royal family. And so he was a multimillionaire because he built a lot of projects for the royal family. And therefore Osama, being the son of was a millionaire and financed Al-Qaeda purely from all that money that his father had. So, um, so there's a huge difference between the rich and the poor and then in the Gulf states especially. Any, other, any questions on it? Do you, you see the similarities of understanding who God is and his socialness, how it impacts even our thoughts of government and politics? 
There's a reason why the US United States is the government that it is. Um, because, you know, the Puritans and the pilgrims who came over, the US, over to the New World, they, they follow God's word, and their understanding of governmental structures is a reflection of their understanding of God. That's changing. Yeah. Well, you. Why is it changing? Why is it changing? Because we're we're going away from God and His sort of rule. Well, and there is a, There's still a foundation of people who believe in God, but their understanding of who God is, as I was saying earlier, is kind of like the benevolent God who all they give is all He gives is love, and He is not a God of justice. Well, it's not only just that. It's, it's if you look at the, the, the okay, just gold sticks. That God is, is is very distant from the people and 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 their government is very distant from them. Our government used to be where we elected people to be servants for us. Now it doesn't it's going against that, it's becoming something different now that they are our rulers over over the people, which is why it's rubbing a lot of people. Because the primary, uh, one of the primary philosophies in the United States or the Western world is humanism, yes. secularism. Therefore, it, the governments that are now reflecting it are non-relational. Non-relational? Non-relational. It sounds like they'd be relational. Humanism. You, you'd think that. You would think that. And an individual says, I am the measure of all things. What you think doesn't matter. I define myself. And if you define yourself, you're not defining yourself relationally. You're defining yourself by your own standard, right. by your own force of will, right. which is identical to, say, Islam, where God is not relational to alien. He has no will with anybody else. He just creates that creation down there and then rules over it by the sheer force of will. And so, of course, Muslim countries are going to uh, act by force of will when they set up governments in that standard. And so are secular humanists when right. they set up themselves or humanity as um, well. I'm I'm the measure, I'm the standard, and I'm the measure of all reality. That's why the COVID stuff and the vaccinating stuff was so difficult because it was so dictated. It was so dictated. It was like, well, we know what's best. We know what's best. There's no relationship. It's just trust the experts. Yeah, trust the experts. You know. Um, Same thing. That's why socialism and, and you know yeah, the, the big state is so dangerous. Right. Because you get a lot from it, or you can, and right. you know, you really have a relationship. The relationship is completely controlled, but it's deceiving. It is. Because you want to take care of people, you want people to, you know, to be able to assist and all that good stuff. So it, it can be very tricky mm-hmm. to manage. Mm-hmm. When you that the creator is king, he is the ruler. And really, our understanding of political philosophy does start with Genesis 1 and 2, not with um, Thomas Hobbes or Francis Bacon or um, uh, Nicholas um, Machiavelli or any of these or uh, Aristotle or, or Plato, who've all written on political philosophy. We have to start with Genesis 1 and 2 because he's the creator. Um, and really, when we want to understand what is good government, we want to mimic God. So, 
I think I have it on here. Uh, who has given whom authority to do what? Um, who has given whom authority to do what? Who has God given authority to do, to govern over the people, to govern over, over creation? Um, so we, we want to see the, the, the kind of the, the high, looking at Christ, who is the, the, the true king, who is the, as the, the, the new Adam, the, the better Adam, like Adam failed in the garden. Christ uh, did not fail in the temptation of Christ. Uh, when Christ was tempted by Satan, he did not fall into temptation, unlike Adam, right? He was faithful to the will of the Father. He was faithful to God's law. Uh, in every way until the end, right? He was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to the Father. Um, and so Christ is a great example of one who uh, reflects, reflects God, the Father, and then becomes ruler. Uh, someone read, so he submitted to the will of his Father, unlike Adam, and then became, God gave him and, and mediated and authorized Jesus to rule. Somebody read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I think I have it in there for you. Oh, I'm out of time. Yeah, it's right there. Somebody read it for me. I will. Thank you. I know. You can see the authority that Christ has that, that has been given. I mean, all that authority that He's been given. Yes. We all easily distracted. Yeah. But He's given. I mean, look what He's been given. The one who took on flesh, who humbled Himself to be a servant, even to the point of death, even death on the cross, is exalted. Right. Devil tried to give him all the kingdoms of the world. Christ did not fall for that temptation. And then his father gave him all of these kingdoms and all this rule. Um, so you have one who submitted to the will of the father. And then Christ, God has given Christ authority and rule over everything. Okay. Note slip. That's okay. This is what we're going to talk about. Next week, I guess, because we say, we're talking about God creating everything that people in charge. But then you kind of have, in John, Jesus says that, like, the ruler of the world's coming, and I'm, and he's, like, so talking about Satan. Right. And so, how do those, like... Yeah, yeah, we'll get with the fall next week. Um, and... And you see why governments are not perfect and why you have evil governments, right? Uh, even good governments, you know, have problems. Not all governments are just and perfectly or in, in every way. Um, 
That's why our hope is not in what our government does. Our hope is in the kingdom of Christ when he will rule, not just over the church, but he will rule over all, right? He will rule over his kingdom. Um, He will rule with justice and holiness. And there will be no like, you know, like he'll have all the authority and it will be very real, right? Um, and who, what, what, govern, what power will be thrown out into the lake of fire? Satan. And anyone who followed him. Uh, there will be a coup d'etat at the end. Um, and that's why the importance of the gospel and sharing, sharing the faith of, it, is not simply we're sharing some good news that saves them from their sins, which it does, but it's aligning them with the true king who is going to rule. He's going to rule. And those who do not assent to him and do not follow him will be judged by him, right? Uh, that's going to be very, very political. <laughs> it's going to be very real. Um, and we probably know people, as, as I'm talking, as you're sitting there, people who are, you know, they seem like good people. They're just not church-going people, right? And, um, and uh, that's going to be a very horrible day. Um, Because, again, God does rule. He rules over his creation in every way. Um, The Kind of the phrasing, you know, the Bible uses is potter and clay, right? Um, What right does the clay have to say to the potter? None. So just change that terminology. What right does the creature have over the creator? Right. the creature has no rights. We're not, we don't have any rights. Again, there's no constitution that we wrote with God the creator and say, all right, God, this is the authority we're agreeing to that you can have. And then you give us the rights as if we were having some negotiation. Not everyone agrees with that, though. I know. There's a lot of people who think that if, if someone creates something sentient, be based solely on the fact that it is sentient, it has its own rights, which, of course, we don't agree with. Right. But that's a big thing that I've heard a lot of non-Christians say, well, God may have created us, but we can think for ourselves. He doesn't have the right to just do what he wants with us just because he created us. And it's like, well, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. That's what happened at the beginning. Because, again, it's the same illustration. So does the, does the pot, does the clay, like, does it have, like, by the way, I want to be square, not circle. Like, it doesn't have those rights. Like, it, it can't make that statement. But that is one of the founding statements of humanism. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like foundationally, we are creatures, right? And foundationally, we have a creator. And a, and a, a lack of acknowledging that truth is missing the, the, the first major, major point of how to live as a human. Um, that's how, that's how found, foundational it is, even to government or even to the family, the husband and wife and the children who do not recognize God as Lord and Creator, what, there, there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some issues. Because there's rules and boundaries by which 
the God, the creator has, has, has regulated on how a husband should live and how a wife should live in the home, right? If you don't acknowledge God, then the whole view, like the wife needs to submit to the husband makes no sense. It makes no sense. Um, let's turn to Genesis one and two. Um, I know that most of you probably know this two chapters pretty well. Um, there's very few things that I've talked about in my kind of time in ministry where I haven't found my, my found myself going to Genesis one and two at some point, like marriage, politics, work. Like we always got to make our way back to Genesis one through three. Um, so um, let's just um, let's read a few passages in here, and then um, kind of want to make some observations. Yes. So somebody read. Um, just read the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the the face of the waters. Thank you. (laughs) Can somebody read uh, verses 26 through 28? I know we skipped a, a lot there, but... Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Somebody read chapter 2 verse 16 and 17. 16 and 17. Or just read 15, 15 God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Somebody read 22 through 25. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Um, so... We see basically God's rule in these first two chapters. Uh, I kind of put these four things on your notes under B. How would you describe God's political rule from Genesis 1 and 2? First one is it's absolute. There isn't anyone else involved here where God's sharing power with anyone. This is not a democracy. 
Um, this is an absolute rule in every way. God created. He created man and woman. Man and woman. He put them in the garden. He gave them all the fruit from the tree. He said, you can't eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden. If you eat of it, you will die. He created the woman from the rib of a man and brought her to Adam. Adam didn't ask for that. It, God, and God did it, right, and brought her to Adam. Here you go. Yeah. No, this is all good and beautiful and perfect, right? Yeah, I know. But you see, like, Again, God didn't ask Adam for what his opinion was. What do you think? What would you like? I'll get you whatever you like. Anything that you would, let's let's negotiate. What are some things you want and I'll provide the rest? He doesn't do any of that. It's completely absolute. Uh, The second thing is it's legitimate. He is the legitimate ruler. He has has the right to do what he wants. Uh, The Romans 9.21 is that passage with the potter and the clay. What does the clay have to say to the potter? Nothing. He has the legitimacy to rule the way that he rules. He has the right to do that and do what he wants. It's also comprehensive. There is no limits to his jurisdiction. Right? There's, no, um, uh, there's no limited power going on. There's no checks and balances. There's no judiciary branch to overthrow God's law here. Ah, it's unconstitutional. Right? There is no, there's no jurisdiction. There's no limits to his jurisdiction. Um, the other thing about God's authority is that he is authorizing. He does authorize power. Who does he authorize power to? He does. What does he tell them they, what does he commission them to do? Right, he asked Adam to name the animals. To be fruitful and multiply. And to and have dominion over the earth, right? To subdue it. He's commissioning them. He rules over them, but then he gives them authority to rule over creation. Right, that's like kingly language. Mm-hmm. Where like, they're being set up as... Vice regions to represent his rule over all the rest of creation. So Adam and Eve didn't go, all right, got a great idea. We'll subdue and have dominion over the earth. (laughs) God doesn't have that idea, but I think it's the right idea. We're going to establish ourselves as vice regents. God authorizes it. Yes, sir. What significance does this have that everything was done in seven days? I don't know of anything in particular about the days other than that it reflects the calendar. It reflects our week. It reflects the pattern by which not only does it establish in Genesis 1 about taking a Sabbath rest, but then he also does what? He establishes Israel's weekly pattern off of that, right? I think that's build, quite significant. Did day two build on day one and bit three on two? What is it, a kind of a stair step thing? One through seven. Well, one had to happen before two. Right, right, that's true. Um, I think there is significance to the point that he saved the best for last, right? The creation of, 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 of man and woman, which the psalmist David even says, the crown of glory that man is and women, but we are the, the crown of God's creation. It's humanity. It's not the mountains and the rivers and the seas and the fish and the birds or the lions and the cheetahs, right? Those are beautiful animals, but the crown of God's creation is humans because we were created in his image. He didn't breathe into, the he didn't breathe into them. Breathe right, 
which we see Jesus doing to the disciples in the end of John. He breathes life into them. Um, hopefully that answers your, your question. Um, but I think the important part is, especially at the end of Genesis 1, is he authorizes and gives authority to Adam and Eve. So they're citizens. They're not just simply robots or slaves. Slaves aren't given commissions and given the, the, the title of vice regent, right? They are citizens. They're given a citizenship mandate. And you see that. So this is the first political institution. Genesis 1 and 2 is the first political institution. God is the king and the ruler. These are his creatures. He rules over them absolutely, but then authorizes them to participate in the rule. But he's the one that sets the standards. He sets the principles. He sets the boundaries. He sets the jurisdiction, if, that's, if, you, if you understand that. So there's a, there's a rule structure. How, what else do you see here in Genesis chapter 2 that, re, that reminds you of a government? Let's see if you can pick it up. On those, on those things right there? On those... Uh, yeah, there's, there's something interesting that you see here that Adam and Eve do not have. Adam and Eve are not authorized to do this. They don't have free reign, but there's something else. The, the, the issue is, is they break the law. Yeah, they're covenant curses. There's a, yeah, they're, they're going to die. There's a sword. There is a coercive power and force that God has that they don't have what you see with the government, right? The government has the sword. It has the power by God to enforce the laws. God here can enforce his law. And what happens? They broke the law and they were kicked out of the garden. There was a consequence. God was quite just and the judge at that moment because they broke the law. So we have a, we have a political community going on the um, they ought to because they are creating the image of God. They are, it informs how they ought to rule. They ought to rule like God rules. Um, we see in Luke three thirty eight. You see the sons of Adam is a son of God. Is what Luke says. So Adam is ought to rule like God. You know, in the past, sons would take on the vocation of their father. Right? If your father was a farmer. You're going to be a farmer. If your dad was a merchant, you're probably going to be a merchant, right? Usually you follow in the footsteps of your father. And that kind of imagery is being presented here in Genesis 1 and 2. Adam is to be the son of God and ought to rule like God does. Does that make sense? So governments should mimic God. So God gave them authority over creation, but they have to submit to God's rule. Again, if they, if they, they can't, he gives them vice regent, but they can't then go, okay, because we're vice regent, we can go eat of that tree he told us not to eat of. Now that law is still there. And then they broke that law. Um, so we see this political community happening here in Genesis 1 and 2 in creation. And I guess they could have gone to God and gone, 
I didn't know this tree. I thought it was that tree. Right. Right. <laughs> I, did, I, I didn't know which one you were pointing to. I saw that sign back there that said 55. I didn't, didn't think it was that 35 one over there. Like, I thought it was, you know, yeah. I was operating in the 55 mile per hour zone, not in the 35. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about what I said. Yep. So there was no democracy. They were under an absolute authority, but they were citizens in that authority. They, um, they were citizens who had a role as politically participatory citizens, right? They were part of subduing and having dominion. Um, that's why, you know, there is an argument for the, you know, the governmental structure that we see in kind of in the West, especially in America, because there's that participatory citizenship that's happening. We're not just subjects to the whims of the ruler, right? We are participatory. We're involved um, as citizens, as you see here in Genesis 1 and 2. Any questions on any of that? Uh, Let me kind of... Go because we're getting out of time. We have like five more minutes. Um, so let me kind of. We can't authorize ourselves with with authority. God must commission us with authority to be representatives of God for a particular purpose. He gives. He authorizes our authority. He gives us the parameters of authority. We can't authorize ourselves. Um, we represent God's rule when and where God authorizes them or us to do so. That means we have to, when we are given authority by God, we have to reflect him. It's borrowed authority. It's borrowed. It's not authority we created. It's authority that comes from one who has absolute authority. And we reflect his authority. Uh, so human rule in the home, in the workplace, church or state, is contained within God's rule. Every office comes with a set of rules that the office holder must obey. So let me, I'm going to enter into a, con- a controversial issue. Women in the church. Why can't women be pastors? Because the Bible says so. The Bible said so. And who's the author of the Bible? So God is saying, I authorize these offices in my church, and my parameters are that men are the pastors and women are. It's not saying that women can't teach or women are stupid. It doesn't say any of that, does it? God is setting the parameters for his authority that he is giving to the church. Does that make sense? God has created the office. He's created the institution. He's given that office and institution authority based off his desires and wishes, and he presents the parameters in his work. That's really the end of this discussion, really, on that. When you go beyond that, you're saying, I reject your authority and think I can do it better, and I will redefine the office and the parameters based off my wisdom and not his. See how dangerous that is? If you think about it, it's, it's really pretty simple, too. If you go on a job and the person that hired you to play a certain role gives you the parameters and you say, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, right. 
It's kind of ridiculous. So you, what you're doing is you're ultimately rejecting the true authority and saying you're the ones that actually are going to redefine what God's already defined and how, how dangerous that is and how rebellious that is. It's a slippery slope. It is. If you allow or reject something you might consider not a big deal, then other things are more easily accepted. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important to, when we look to the scriptures, how does God define offices and roles? And to follow, because God is the one that gives authority. We're not establishing authority. So that's where I think a lot of church leaders have gotten it wrong. It's almost as if they're establishing their own authority to define whatever they want by whatever they want. Instead of going back to God, who has ultimate authority. He's the creator of the Lord, who then, then authorizes and then mediates authority. And to her point, it's like, you know, our... <laughs> our intellect fell with the fall, not just our physical bodies becoming sick, but our view, our worldviews are flawed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's pretty arrogant to think that we know more than God or what we plan is, is going to be better. We don't have a clue about it. Right, right. Well, it intertwines, too, with the roles in the household. It does. Mm-hmm. And that's another institution with it's offices and roles and with authority. Right, right. I mean, it's so far-reaching, scripturally speaking, that when those roles become, you know, become reversed, or they start getting mixed up, the marriage really suffers. Mm -hmm. And then with that, the children, you know, generations, it's uh, I'm out of time. Um, are there, so I was going to talk about priestly mandates um, that worship is political. When we, when we cry out, Lord, you are good, you are great, you are king, you are Lord, your law is perfect and good in every way, that is all a political statement. Saying, I am the creature, you are the creator, you are the Lord, you have, I am accountable to you and to your law and to your word, and I desire to follow you and you alone, that is about as political as it gets. So when you worship on Sunday morning, you're taking part in political activity. All that we do is an act of rule that represents God's own rule. That goes back into the home. Do you, as, as husband and wife, do you run your home recognizing that God is the one that gave you that authority? Or do you, do you run your home as if you're the only authority and you dictate by whatever you desire and wish? If your authority is not directed at coming from God, you will not do husband and wife or, or mom and dad very well or properly. Are there any questions? We were going to talk about absolute immediate authority and talk about anarchy. I was going to talk about rebellions. We ran out of time. So maybe we'll have to pick it up next week. Or we'll just kind of fold that stuff into next week. Are there anything, any questions before we pray? So I'll get in it. So we had more Bibles. So you need people who were mad at me last two, three weeks because no Bible. Hopefully I've fulfilled that, that, that um, criticism. So um, not to say anyone actually criticized me in any way. Uh, you notice on the schedule kind of what we'll be talking about next week and the weeks to come. Um, and hopefully this recorded. And so we'll be able to post it. Yep. So far, so good. And so 
Uh, I'll pray for us, and then I'll let you go. And we'll make sure we're good on time. So let me pray. So Lord, I thank you for our time. And Lord, we just uh, want to be um, good students of your word and recognize, Lord, that you're the creator, you're the Lord, you're the one who has absolute authority. It's comprehensive, it's legit, legitimate. You have the right to rule. And Lord, you have authorized um, certain institutions to have authority, Lord, that you have given. Uh, if you are a... Uh, if you're a parent in this room, that authority has been given to, to you by the Lord, by God, Lord, and help them to lead, um, understanding that they are under your rule. Lord, that they have to, to parent according to your word and point their children to you and you alone. Um, we are not uh, to be parents who, who raise um, financially successful kids or um, great athletes, or great musicians, or great debaters. We are to raise children, Lord, who love the Lord and recognize that He is the Lord, and He is, has authority over their life, and that salvation from their sins and their rebellion is in Christ alone. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do that. And in our work, and our vocations, Lord, we pray, Lord, that even that authority that's been given to us has been given to us by you, and we ought to lead in those positions uh, and reflect you with with holiness, with goodness, with love and compassion and mercy and justice, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to do that. And all the other areas of, of leadership and authority that we have in different uh, sectors of our, of our society and our public, Lord, we pray that we would reflect you as image bearers of you, as representatives of you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Lesson 4, Politics of Creation at the Church and Politics class. If you're interested in more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes. And we hope to see you back.